0: Let me begin by wishing you a happy new year. Welcome to 2020. We're going to start off this new year by getting back into the book of Colossians. So you can take your Bibles and open them with me to Colossians chapter 3. We started into Colossians last year and we finished going through chapters 1 and 2 verse by verse. But we've been away from Colossians for almost two months now. So I figure a little reorientation is in order as we set out to finish going through this book in the coming weeks and months. You might remember the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church. The Colossian church was a relatively new church, but it was not planted by Paul. In fact, he'd never even been there. It was started by Epaphras who brought the gospel to them. But he confirms back in chapter 1 verse 6 that these young Christians then genuinely come to understand the grace of God and truth And that their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints was the real deal. So that sounds good. Why is he writing this letter? Well, trouble was brewing. Contrary and counterfeit worldviews dominated this town of Colossae. And they're proving to be a real threat to these young, vulnerable believers. But it was beyond the ability of this guy Epaphras to handle. So he goes to Paul for help. And Paul writes this letter in response and Paul understands the real issue here, and it has to do with Christ. Some of these contrary world views were diminishing Christ. There are some people in Colossae that they claim to believe in Jesus, but they diminished him; that they diminished his supremacy, his sufficiency, his deity. And then there were others who just outright denied him altogether. Now, these young believers, these true Christians in Colossae, were not being swept away by the tide yet, but the tide was rising. And so Paul writes this letter preemptively to help them, to help them see the sufficiency of Christ, that they would just be founded on the rock and they wouldn't be carried away. So Paul begins this letter in chapter 1, not negatively, not by going on the attack, but positively. He just shows them. He starts off by just showing them who Christ is. Here's who he is, what he's done, his, his deity, his glory, his sufficiency. Verse 15, he's the image of, Of the invisible God. Verse 16, He's the creator of heaven and earth. Verse 17, He holds all things together. Verse 18, He's the head of the body, the church. Verse 19, The fullness of deity dwells in Him. Verse 20, He's reconciled all things to Himself through the cross. And that includes us. Look back at verse 21 of Colossians 1. It says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is what Jesus did for us. As we can think back, all of us once were hostile in mind. We too once diminished his supremacy, his sufficiency. But God opened our eyes through his salvation and enabled us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now the evil deeds in which we used to engage, we replace with those that are pleasing to the Lord because we love him. We've been united to Christ by faith and now we're to live that out. And that really gets to the heart of Paul's admonition to the Colossians in this letter. It still applies to us today. You see it in chapter two, verses six and seven. He says there, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See, now we have received Jesus as Lord, and now we need to walk in him, to live that out. We need to grow down in our roots that we might grow up in our fruits so you have in the beginning of the Colossians this call to maturity, this call to, to Christ-centered, Christ-like living. You have received Jesus as Lord. You are rooted in him, and now it's time to be built up in him. So we find here that Christ, he's not just the key to our salvation. He's also the key to sanctification, just to daily Christian living. We need Christ there's no growth apart from him. So the last thing you need to do is diminish Christ in your life. That brings us back to the danger in Colossians because that's what some people were doing. They were denying the power of Jesus to save and to sanctify. And so Paul shifts to warning. In verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. mean these young believers were at risk of being taken captive to these contrary worldviews and and being led astray. They they would be led to, to forsake Christ, but that'd be a huge mistake. Imagine a train going up a steep mountain And it's a challenge, but it's just strong enough to pull the train up the mountain. But then the passenger cars decide they want to be free. They think they can get up the mountain on their own. So they unhook from the locomotive. Now, as you can imagine, the only result is going to be their speedy downhill demise. And that's what these people in Colossae were doing. He says down in chapter 2, verse 19, that they were not holding fast to the head. That is Christ. That they were unhooked from Christ. They were trying to pursue God and spirituality, but, but unhooked from Christ. And there's nothing there. You forsake the only power for salvation and spiritual growth. And all they found was shipwreck. And there's just the opposite of what we must do. We we need to hold fast to the head who is Christ. And so from this point, Paul now goes on the offensive. He's going to show to the contrary the insufficiency of of these other worldviews. He's going to refute the beliefs and practices of the false teachers in Colossae. And he's going to show that the bankruptcy of their human answers to the problems of the soul. Like legalism, asceticism, mysticism. These are of no value. And so he concludes down to verse 23 of chapter 2. A stunning conclusion. He says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and the severe treatment of the body. They are of no value against fleshly indulgence man's ways, they don't make you better. They don't make you closer to God. They don't make you more spiritual. They take you further away from God. Like I said back in chapter two, verse three, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you're not going to find greater spirituality going away from Christ. You're only going to find it. You're only going to grow when you draw near to him. This brings us now to the doorstep of, Colossians chapter 3. You know, it's prudent that we recap Colossians 1 and 2 here. Because what Paul says now at the beginning of chapter 3. Really comes as the culmination of everything he said in chapters 1 and 2. After thoroughly rejecting the world's philosophies which diminish Christ. He's going to now get back to the positive. He's going to help these Christians to get it right. To see Christ rightly. They've come to truly believe in Jesus, but you know, they're a bit weak and immature. So, how do you grow in faith and practice? How do you live out the Christian life? How, how do you attain greater spirituality and holiness? What he's going to tell them and, and us. And it should come as no surprise that this path goes straight through Christ. Not around Christ, but through Christ. Transformed living comes by recognizing Christ's supremacy and sufficiency by going to him and through him. And starting with this first passage in chapter 3, we're going to learn what that means and how to do it. The Christian life must be a Christ-centered life. And so let's start to learn what that looks like. Our passage this morning is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Let's let's read that now as we get reoriented to Colossians. He says now, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, at these verses, Paul, as he shifts in chapter 3 to Christian living, here he's laying the foundation for Christian living. He gives the focus for Christian living and then the basis for Christian living, both of which will be built upon throughout the chapter. These are essential bits of understanding. If you have a foundation that's crooked or shaky or cracked, the house built atop it will falter. And similarly, many Christians flounder because they're trying to live out the Christian life without apprehending the focus of Christian living and the basis of Christian living. So we need to pay attention here because these words still instruct us. If you've found yourself frustrated by Christian living, or maybe discouraged because you haven't grown, well, perhaps it's because you too have skipped over the the focus of Christian living and the basis of Christian living. Either way, we need to to learn what these are about as we set out here in chapter 3. Let's do that now. We're going to focus first on, well, number one, the focus of Christian living. First, the focus of Christian living. And this is derived from the commands that come in verses 1 and 2. So go back to verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, he just finished saying that the philosophies of the world and these self-made religions of man, they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. No value. That, that's not the way. Dead trees can't grow. But we as Christians, we should be different. Why? Well, Because we have been raised up with Christ. It says in verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now in the Greek, this is what's known as a first-class Conditional statement. You all know what that means, right? Just means that he's assuming this condition is true. So you could translate it as since. Since you have been raised up with Christ. If you've been raised up with Christ and you have, things should be different. It's the reality of a new life in Christ, which is only found in Christ, that makes possible new living. Those who are in Christ by faith are are spiritually alive from the dead. This just harkens back to these powerful words he gave in chapter 2. Just look back at chapter 2, verse 13. Remember this? He said, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And we all were guilty of sin before God. We held to our names this eternal debt of sin. But Jesus came and he paid that debt in full through his death on the cross that we might be fully forgiven. And so with with the wedge of sin removed... With the source of our spiritual separation from God removed, now he he makes us alive. He raises us up. We were dead, now we're alive. We were lost, now we're found. And this is true for all who go to Jesus by faith, trusting him for their salvation. And because this is true, the world's ways and the world's answers, they don't matter to us anymore. Their methods for attaining spirituality and for living. They're just, we see now is completely hollow. And there's once a day where if you were sick and you went to the doctor, he would attach leeches to you to drain your blood, thinking that would make you better. And today, of course, we know better. We know that's utter nonsense. That doesn't make you better. In fact, it makes you worse. You can spread disease. Well, likewise, spiritually in Christ, our eyes have been opened. We, we know better now. We see Christ is the only way to God. And so we see all the attempts of those in the world at being spiritual or at growing or improving. We just, we see now like they're, they're not doing you any good. They're empty. They're hollow. They're just nonsense. And so with this in mind, with our spiritual resurrection in mind, the new life we have in Christ in mind. Now, Paul again reminds us of the focus of Christian living. So, back to verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and you have, and he says, now keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the command here for us is to keep seeking, there's something we're searching for. But the idea here is not so much a seeking to discover something, but seeking to obtain something. We are to strive earnestly, even strenuously, after something. After what? Well, after the things above. This is undoubtedly reference to the heavenly realm. He opened this letter back in chapter 1 verse 5 by setting their sights on the hope laid up for you in heaven. This heaven, this is the realm from which Jesus came. John eight twenty three. Jesus said to some Pharisees, You are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. This is the realm from which Jesus came, and this is the realm to which Jesus returned. And doesn't Paul say, keep seeking the things above where Christ is? That's where Jesus is right now. And this world is not all there is. There is a heavenly realm where the special presence of God dwells. It's often described of as above, although it's not physically above us. It's a spiritual realm that's apart from this world. And realize God the Son left that realm to come to our world, even taking on human flesh to die for us, to save us, to reconcile us, to redeem God's fallen creation, but after completing his mission, he went back to that realm. He ascended to heaven. And there he took the seat at the right hand of the Father. He is always described as at the right hand of the Father. And that's, that's a way of depicting a, a place of supreme power and authority and rule. And so listen, here, here's what we're being told in verse 1. Since we have now been raised up to new life with Jesus... We are to keep seeking the things above where Christ is. But understand, we're not being told to seek a place. This is not about a place. Some Christians are a bit too preoccupied with what the place of heaven is like. What will it look like? What will it smell like? Will we eat? What will we eat? Are there really mansions? But in the grand scheme of things, you know, the Bible says very little about what the actual place of heaven is like. That's okay because that's not to be our focus right now. In reality, though, the, the glory of heaven, it's not about a place. It's about a person. What makes heaven special is simply the fact that the triune God dwells there. It's the place we go to be with him. And so wherever that place is, whatever that place is like, we know it will be glorious because we will be there with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you realize that the whole reason Jesus came down from that place was well, so that we, his people, might one day be brought up to that place to be with him. Listen now, Peter puts this in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, there's a place down below. It's not literally in the earth, but it's a place of eternal separation and damnation away from the glory of God forever. But Jesus came to give us life, eternal life with him to to bring us up to where he is. Now, we're not there yet physically, but, but you see, in Christ, we possess that new eternal life. And in Christ, we belong to that place. Right now, our spot there is reserved, you might say. And it's all by God's grace. So in the meantime, what does this God who did this for us, what does he want of us? While we remain in this place on earth, in these bodies, he wants us to live like those in that place. Like those in heaven. God is glorified when we live Heavenly lives right now. And that's what this command in verse 1 is all about. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Where are the things above? Again, it's not talking about a place, but, but a state of being. We are called to seek the life that accords with Christ in heaven. This is a call to, to seek out a heavenly life right now here on earth. So just think then... What is life like for those in heaven? For Christ and those who are his, what is that heavenly life like? Again, we wonder, what do they wear? What do they do? Do they work? Do they play? We don't have full answers to those questions. But here's what we do know. For Christ and those who are his, I can tell you what they don't do. And I can tell you what they're not like. They're not like verse 5 of Colossians 3. These vices where he says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil greed, or evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And they're not like verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. I can tell you that those in that place don't do those things anymore that's for sure. And I can tell you some of what they do. I can tell you some of what they are like. They're like verse 12. So as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And they're like verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We don't Fully know what heavenly life will be like. But we know it's going to accord with what is being written here. And with verse 17, as he concludes, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so you see, what we're being told here is that this kind of life, that's to be our focus right now. Keep seeking the things above. This is a present active imperative. So continually, perpetually, daily, we're seeking that life. We already have that life by grace through faith, but now we are to live it out. We're not to wait until heaven to live that, that heavenly life. God is glorified as we live that way right now. Now, if you need more help on, like, what does that really look like? And how do you do it? Well, Paul gives a complimentary command which sharpens our focus. And that's verse 2. He says, next, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. This command helps explain what it means and what it looks like to, to seek the things above. True Christian living starts in the mind. Now, Paul's not suggesting that Christianity is only a religion of the mind. As if we should, you know, sit in the corner of a monastery and read our Bibles all day and and do nothing else, not actually do anything. No, that's not it. But, But the apostle knows precisely how we are made to grow and to be conformed into Christ's image. And that process of growth starts in the mind. Do our actions matter? Does our behavior matter? Obviously, that's, that's what we're after in the end. But you have to understand that right doing and right living begins with right thinking. You have to go through the mind, the heart, the will. Paul loves this term, set your mind. He uses it 23 of its 26 occurrences in the New Testament, this term describes the realm of the mind, but it's not in purely intellectual terms. It more relates to the orientation of your will. To set your mind on something is an act of your will to show regard for something. It's not just thinking about something, but being devoted to something. And here's the thing what you set your mind on determines your direction. In life, And that in turn is going to determine your actions. Let me give you like a lightning speed crash course on how humans operate according to the Bible. Your deeds are determined by your desires. God made us creatures of desires. We act according to our strongest desire. Those desires in turn are fed by what you set your mind on. So if you're setting your mind on things below, on worldly, evil, sinful activities, it's going to inflame those desires within you. The Bible calls them the lusts of the flesh. And you know what? You're going to eventually do those things. But if you set your mind on the things above, on this heavenly life, on Christ himself, it will enhance the desires of the spirit and you'll be led into Righteous living. You'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, and this heavenly life will be reflected in you. We can kind of put it another way, using an analogy from, from the world of, of bicycles. Don't look where you don't want to go. Don't look where you don't want to go. It's just a fact that when riding a bicycle, wherever your head is pointed, wherever you're looking, slowly but surely, your, your bike is going to go that direction. You're going to start veering that direction. I mean, try your best to ride in a straight line with, like, your head 90, de- 90 degrees to the right. Like, it's just not going to happen. If you want to go straight, you need to focus your eyes straight ahead. You have to focus and pay attention. And this is all the more important when the stakes are high. Imagine riding a mountain bike downhill on a single track lane, right next to a steep cliff. You might be tempted to look down the cliff, to just watch the scenery as you go down the hill. But that would be a mistake because you would invariably start drifting that way towards the cliff to your peril. Instead, you better just focus right in front of you. Ignore the scenery. You have to focus on that, that little track, chart your path if you want to go straight and stay safe. Don't look where you don't want to go. Then instead, well, look where you do want to go. And that same principle, that focus applies perfectly to the Christian life. The Lord knows our deeds are determined by our strongest desires. And those in turn are fed by our minds. So if you want to avoid sinful behavior, and if you want to live righteously, it starts with your mindset we still have the sinful flesh. We still have old, evil desires. We don't want to do those things anymore, though, right? So, well, don't set your mind on those things. Don't fill your mind with those things. Maybe your old life was filled with a lot of wicked gossip, but you don't want to be that way anymore. Well, then, why, why do you watch all those TV shows that glorify gossip? maybe you're already struggling with discontentment and envy and covetousness. But, but why are you spending all this time on Instagram looking at the lives of the rich and the famous who just kind of shove in your face all the things you desperately want but don't have? Those aren't even righteous desires, so why are you feeding them? Or how about lust? I mean, now in Christ, you don't want to, to wander into that sin anymore, Right? But then how many shows, movies, and websites are you viewing that are putting images in your mind that you shouldn't see? They're going to feed your flesh and incite your desires, and then what? The deeds of the flesh will follow. So, so why do that? This is how sin comes about. When you set your mind on the things below, the things that are on earth, you're going to go in that direction, and you're eventually going to do those things. But, well, don't look where you don't want to go. Instead, Romans 13, 14, put on Christ and and make no provision for the flesh in accordance with its lusts. I mean, the, the Christian life is different. We are not of this world any longer, right? That doesn't mean we go Hamish and we reject like all modern life and all technology this does not mean we shun every aspect of our world or our culture. But you know, it does mean there are going to be some things that we shun. There are going to be some aspects of this world and our culture that, that we reject. That we no longer accept as normal. We no longer allow in our minds. Because we know they're going to take us away from this, this heavenly life that honors our Lord. That things below must no longer be our preoccupation or our treasure. Instead, we put on Christ. We set our mind on things above. We're not called to escape this world, but we are called to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's at the right hand of God. You see, this is the focus we need to stay the course. And practically speaking, this is why so often in Scripture, we are directed to fill our minds with Scripture. Right? What's the value of Bible reading, Bible meditation, Bible memorization? It's simply that it helps us fix our minds on things above it helps us set our minds on what is true on our heavenly life and that will feed the desires of the spirit this is why paul will say very shortly down in verse 16 let the word of christ richly dwell within you this is how we are renewed this is how we are transformed into that heavenly image it starts with your mind Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this has to be the focus of Christian living. This is just a starting point, but this is our focus. Only a life centered on Christ and a mind set on Christ will guide us into heavenly living here and now. Now we need to move on, but you're going to see how the focus of Christian living, it's only accentuated as you see it intersect with the basis of Christian living. So here's number two, the basis of Christian living, the basis of Christian living. Verse one, he already referenced the basis of Christian living. It's being raised up with Christ because we have been raised up to new life in Christ. We should live this way. But now Paul's going to circle back in verse 3. And he's going to say even more. Telling us about the basis of how we live our Christian lives. So let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says in verse 3. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now here Paul reminds us how our Christian living, it's based on some essential truths. And he's going to present us with spiritual truths of our past, present, and future. And we need these in our mind. We can't let these slip from our mind. So first consider the past. He says in verse three, for you have died. This is a companion truth with what we've already learned, being raised up with Christ. We died with Christ and we were raised with Christ. This is what happens when we identify with Christ by faith and we're saved. These spiritual realities become true of us and they have huge implications. I want you to listen to how Paul puts this in Romans 6. Just listen along, but listen carefully. It basically says the same thing with more words. Romans 6, 4. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we too might walk in newness of life. Then he says down in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, therefore, do not let sin Reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In the Christian life, it does not work bottom up, it works top down. It starts with these heavenly realities, these, these truths. And they're secured for us in Christ by faith. And so because of his work and his death, his resurrection, and because of our union with him, which comes by faith, what now is true of us? Well, now it's true that we have died to sin's power and sin's penalty. It's true that we have raised to new life. It's true that we're justified. It's true that our names have been enrolled in heaven. So because all that is true right now, while we are still here in our mortal bodies, we should, well, no longer let sin reign in our mortal bodies so that we obey its lusts. We should no longer use our bodies for evil. But he says we should present ourselves to God as, as who? It's those who are alive from the dead. So you see how these, these fundamental truths of salvation, they form the basis of how we're to live. This is why we are to live the way we do. You need to let what is true of your heavenly position become what is true of your earthly practice. I'll say that again. Scripture says this over and over. You need to let what is true of your heavenly position now become true of your earthly practice. In the past, you have died. Next, back to Colossians 3, he says in the present, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when it comes to salvation, there's this already not yet tension. In a sense, we're already saved. But in another sense, we're not yet saved. I mean, clearly we're not in heaven yet. And the fullness of our eternal life is yet to be revealed. But it's important for you to know that. That right now, presently, we are in full possession of that eternal life. It's been granted to us. It's just that it's hidden with Christ in God. You might say it's being reserved for us. But the point here is that our reservation is secure in Christ. And that knowledge is meant to to help us live confidently and boldly in faith right now. I mentioned earlier uh, 1 Peter 1, how he said God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. Then he adds though in verse 5, he says, Who are protected by the power of God through faith For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the the fullness of our salvation is just, it's ready to be revealed. It's coming. And until then, we are protected by God's power through faith. Our eternal life is secure. And so we're now meant to, however long it's going to be, live in that security, knowing our names are in heaven, our heavenly citizenship is real. It's just hidden. But we, we are to, to press on and run the race knowing our place is secure. I mean, look, right now, you come to salvation, we don't look different than anyone else after believing in Jesus. But because of these salvation truths, we should live differently. And that was Christ's plan for his church. He knew that after his salvation, they're not going to look any different. But they sure should live different. And that way, the world would see in the church a little outpost of heaven on earth. You know, the new life we claim is hidden from the view of others as well. It's one reason the world mocks and ridicules Christians as they did the Lord. I mean, just think about the appearance of Jesus during his time on earth. He did not look like the Lord of glory. He did not appear to be the the king of kings and lord of lords. He was of no stately form or appearance. To the contrary, they they thought him a peasant, this untrained, uneducated leader of this little rabble. But That's because his his glory was veiled. But we know it, it won't be veiled forever. There's a coming day of the Lord when his glory will be revealed to all. And speaking of that coming day, that leads us to to the future truth that Paul wants to set our minds on. Look at verse 4, Colossians 3. He says after this, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Here we see that, that Christ is our life. Not in essence, but he's the source and the pattern of our eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He said, because I live, you will live. John 14, 19. Now, Jesus, too, is hidden. Right now, he's in heaven at the right hand. We cannot see him. The world does not see him. But they do not know him. They do not recognize him. They do not value him. They do not bow the knee. But but that's going to change when he is revealed, when he comes with his glory unveiled for all to see. That's not really the point Paul's making here, though. What's interesting, he's adding an additional point that on that day when Christ comes and he's revealed in his glory, what's he say? That you too will be revealed with him in glory. We will share in his glory. It's not saying that we're deified, but it is saying that we're glorified. We'll be fully conformed To his image. And that comes with a type of glory. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.42. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He says it's sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. So you see in the future. Our heavenly identity. Who we are in Christ. Right now. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be manifested. It's going to be made known to all that our own glory in Christ will be revealed. And when that day comes, there's not going to be any more mocking or ridicule. Those who've not bowed the knee to Christ will, will only know fear. But for us who follow him, we will then enter into the joy of our master forever. That day is coming. Do you believe that? Do you really believe It's coming well that future truth of our own coming glory that's meant to be a huge part of the basis of our christian living right now our coming day of glorification is meant to sharpen our focus to live a heavenly christ-centered life right now you can't skip over 1 john he puts this so famously listen to 1 john 228 He says, now little children, abide in him, Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Then he says in chapter three, verse two, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope Fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Is that your hope? Is that actually your hope of coming glory, future glory with Christ? If it is, then you need to, well, purify yourself right now, just as he is pure. Just as on that day, you really will be pure. But we don't wait for that day. Because we are presently abiding in him, it's going to be our aim to live like him until he comes. This is the basis of the Christian life. This is the focus of the Christian life. And when these two intersect, you start to see heavenly living on earth. How are we to understand the Christian life? How do we relate to it? How do we live it? How do we grow? It really does start with with this basis and this focus. It's not about striving so hard to enter heaven. We've already been saved by grace through faith. Our heavenly life has been just given to us as a gift by Christ. But that gift becomes the basis of our life. And when it becomes the focus as well, you start to see transformation. And so you must constantly fix your eyes on Jesus and who you really are, in him. This is what the Spirit uses to drive us and to grow us. Right now, our, the outer man is decaying. You can't stop that. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. This is how it starts with the mind, with setting your mind on things above. There's more to come in Colossians 3 explaining how to live in Christ. But if you can just stay in the intersection, of the basis of Christian living and the focus of Christian living, you're going to grow. If you can capture this this heavenly-minded, Christ-centered life, you will grow. So, therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, just keep seeking the things above. And as you do so, you will find Christ's heavenly life formed in you. Let's make that our goal. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, this is our goal and our aim to to be like Christ. We've been saved by him, our Lord and Savior. We now recognize him for who he is. We we behold his glory. And we see your will now to make us like him, to conform us into his perfect image. That day will come. You will will take us to the top of the mountain, the place we cannot truly get to on our own. But even still, we are not to wait just for that day. Right now, you, you call us up. You call us to climb, to follow to pursue, to, to be conformed to his image, to live that heaven, heavenly life right now. And this is how it starts with our minds. We must be setting them continually on, on things above, not on things that are below. This is how our, our desires for righteousness will be fed and fueled and, and how the spirit will lead us to, to right living. And that's, that's to your glory, but that's to our good. Your, your ways are better. This life is better. That's it's filled with joy and peace, we get taste of heaven right now as we follow Christ and live according to his ways. To help us, Lord, first clear the cobwebs, open our minds just to understand how we are to live and then uh, move us, convict us to, to pursue, to excel still more, to follow our Savior. All to his glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.